Good morning. It, uh, it really is a privilege to be here, uh, certainly uh, among brothers and sisters in Christ, but also friends. I know many of you, and so thanks for the opportunity to be in the pulpit this morning to open God's Word. I bring uh, greetings from uh, your brothers and sisters just down the road at Temple, and so uh, they're excited to have uh, Jeff with them this morning and, uh, and be here. So if you would, uh, open your copy of God's Word. We've spent at Temple a couple of years, not uh, every Sunday, uh, but a couple of years uh, working through the book of Genesis, and so I'll try and catch you up on uh, uh, 50 chapters uh, this morning, but uh, it's probably a story that you're uh, very familiar with um, right here at the end of, uh, of Genesis. Uh, I'm going to read uh, Genesis 50, verses 15 to 21. Uh, we'll come to the rest of that chapter as we, uh, as we look at God's Word. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 50 and verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us, pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Pray again with me this morning. Father, we ask your blessings on the reading, the hearing, the preaching of your word. We ask that you would comfort us, encourage us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. If you've grown up in the church, if you've been around the church, uh, even if you have uh, grown up in America, you're probably familiar with C.S. Lewis. You're probably familiar with his variety of works, uh, particularly uh, his children's stories, but also uh, they resonate with uh, we as adults. Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia are a wonderful um, allegory, a wonderful picture of Christianity of life. Uh, the very last book in the series, The Last Battle, uh, ends this way. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth had read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. What a, what a beautiful picture that Lewis paints for us here of, of, yes, the reality of death and the sorrow of death, but the joy through Jesus Christ of knowing that this is not the end. This life here is, uh, is, is a, a few words on the title page and the cover of the book that is the story of eternity that we will spend with God. And so as we come to the end of Genesis... You may be familiar with this story. Uh, you may be familiar, familiar with uh, Joseph, uh, 37 to 50, covers 
his life. It's a wonderful picture, uh, but it's a picture filled with sorrow. It's a picture filled with great uh, distress. He was a man who was sinned against, not just by those outside of his family, but even more painfully by those inside his family. His brothers betrayed him, uh, selling him off into slavery. Uh, he then uh, labors, uh, rises to, to prominence, though, in Potiphar's house. He's then betrayed again by Potiphar's wife, wrongly accusing him. He then spends time in prison. He rises again to prominence there. He serves, but he is forgotten uh, by those who are freed. Uh, but then he is uh, remembered and interprets the dreams of Pharaoh. And he raises uh, Joseph to an, an incredible position, certainly for an outsider, uh, a non-Egyptian. But he is raised to the position of prime minister, second over all of Egypt. And the Lord has a plan. The Lord has a purpose for all of his suffering, all of his pain and difficulties. Uh, and it is for the salvation of many. And so uh, I've entitled this morning's sermon, The End of the Beginning, a reversal maybe of the way we might think, but uh, chapter 50 marks the end of, of many things. It marks the end of the first book of the Bible. It marks the end of the lives of Jacob and Joseph, the end of the history of the patriarchs, the end of the movement of God's people towards Egypt. They are now in Egypt. But 50 also wonderfully marks the beginning of other things, beginning uh, in, of, uh, of negative things as well. 400 years of slavery, servitude, and silence begins uh, the birth of the nation of Israel from a few that go to uh, millions at the Exodus, the beginning of the second book of the Bible, the beginning of the movement of God's people out of Egypt. And so right here at the end, we also come to beginnings, the end of this book of Genesis really marks the beginning of the rest of God's story as he continues to draw to himself a people that he loves, that he sanctifies, that he makes his own. And so one writer said, uh, for Jacob and Joseph, the end of their life on earth was merely the closing page of one volume that leads on into a new and better sequel. Um, endings are difficult. Oftentimes, they're painful. Uh, I hear and, and uh, grieve with you at the loss of one of your own here. And so death is a difficult uh, thing to face. Endings uh, can also take the form of uh, jobs, uh, relationships, um, moving from place to place, schools, whatever it might be. So endings can be filled with anxiety and fear and sorrow, but they also can be opportunities, hope, and promise as new beginnings are made. So this morning, I want to look at three things uh, quickly. Jacob's exodus, Joseph's excellencies, and God's endgame. So just uh, right at the end of chapter 49, we read of Jacob. He has just blessed all of his sons. Again, each of these sons uh, will be made into a, a tribe, a great people, and those tribes will be what multiplies over the next 400 years in captivity and that the Lord will then bring out of Egypt into the promised land. And so Jacob is, is a character that we're very familiar with. He is uh, maybe a little too um, familiar in the sense that maybe we see a bit of ourselves 
in Jacob at times. Uh, Jacob is this mix of Jacob and Israel, this uh, mix of the old man and the new man, this mix of Jacob the deceiver and Israel the one who is blessed and who blesses. And so he is a, uh, a, a character that maybe, again, we, we can resonate with maybe a little too much. Um, and one writer said in the background of his death, he's about to die here, is, uh, um, are the promises of God. God has made promises to Jacob's uh, forefathers, uh, particularly in beginning with Abraham. Jacob may well have sensed that the 400-year captivity was in the making, even though Egypt under Joseph was so welcoming and benign. Uh, again, uh, under Joseph, uh, the peoples of the world, really, at that time, that area, were saved. There was a great famine, and uh, through God's uh, work and through Joseph's uh, ingenuity, uh, millions were saved from starvation. In fact, his own family would be brought up into Egypt to live. Um, and it would be uh, the end of Jacob's life. He is surrounded here by his loved ones. He's surrounded by all of his children, by grandchildren. Um, but he also would remember, very likely, the promises that God made to Abraham. Yes, that Abraham would be blessed. He would be made into a great people, but also that those peoples would have to suffer under slavery and bondage for a time. And I wonder if Jacob, on his deathbed there, began to put the pieces together, that as wonderful as it is to be delivered, to be there among his people and his sons, uh, did he understand that this was the beginning of God's promise that for 400 years they would be in bondage? And so a mixed blessing that this was. Uh, Genesis 15, again, uh, is, is the promise to Abraham, and in that promise is the, uh, the, the idea. But I will bring um, verse 13, excuse me. Then the Lord said to Abram, uh, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. They'll be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Uh, so the mixed blessing, certainly a mixed blessing here. Um, but we see the, uh, the comfort that Jacob has uh, right here at the end. Verse 33, a, a picture of, of a, man, uh, a man who's been greatly blessed, uh, spared by the Lord, uh, greatly blessed as he's surrounded by his loved ones. Verse 33 uh, here uh, in uh, Genesis uh, 49. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. A, a, a peaceful picture. Um, a peaceful picture of something that is horrific. Uh, death is not natural. Um, God did not intend uh, originally for death. He, he certainly uh, uh, created Adam and Eve for eternal life. And so through sin, death entered in. And so it is a disruption of the way that God had originally created. And so let us never, even in stories like this, they sound so peaceful. Let us not pass over, gloss over the, the horror of death, uh, that it is an unnatural uh, separation of that which was not meant to be separated, the body, the soul. Um, different cultures view death differently. The Greek culture was a very death-accepting culture. Uh, they would uh, see death as the freeing of the soul from the body. Uh, and uh, this would keep 
the, uh, the soul uh, from really being able to do what it was meant to do. And so um, there was a denial by them of, of anything good in the flesh. And so our current view of death in our culture today is really a death-denying culture, isn't it? We do everything we can to, to avoid the conversation, to, to, to soften it as much as we can. Um, we tend to, uh, to elevate the physical and diminish the spiritual. Maybe we deny any good in the next life. We don't want to deal with it. We want to live our best lives now, right? We've heard that phrase before. But as Christians, we are, we are to have a, a, re, a real view of life and death. Uh, one said a death-defying culture. Uh, body and soul, that there is uh, good now, uh, there is uh, a good in the body, but certainly in the soul when the body and the soul are reunited. We have to face, as we know, our own mortality. We have to face death. And I wonder as we do that, as we're confronted with it, are we more comforted by the Spirit and by the Word of God, or... um, are we more directed by the thoughts and feelings that are shaped by our culture? Because even as believers, we can have a, a wrong view of these things. We can either have a, a real fear of death, um, or we can gloss over it and not even want to confront it. Uh, Jacob had to confront the reality of his passing, his death. In a minute, we will look at Joseph, who also will deal with that. I pray today that by examining Scripture, by, by knowing Scripture, the, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that we, we, we will deal rightly with that which will face all of us, our own mortality, our own death, that we will, we will be able to mourn and grieve and weep as we will see uh, Joseph do in just a moment, but that we will not grieve as the world grieves. We'll have great hope that even though there is death, that through Christ Jesus there is resurrection, there is the promised hope. Of eternity. So I pray this morning that as you may be dealing with a variety of levels of grief, that, that we would rightly do it. We would move through it in the spirit and that we would be comforted. Joseph's excellencies next. Uh, we see that as, as this section again and again reiterates, Joseph was an amazing young man. He's now an amazing older man. Um, And we see a right dealing with sorrow here. Verse 1 of 50, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. There's not a glossing over. There's not a, no, you know, uh, do your grieving over there. Uh, It's, it's, you you know, he doesn't say, you know, you shouldn't be crying. I wonder at times in our culture uh, here in America, too, that that we don't allow proper amounts of grieving, uh, that we want to somehow tamp it down, and maybe it feels like it's not right, but Joseph, he weeps, falls on his father, he weeps over him. Christ wept over the death of Lazarus, and he knew that he was about to raise him from the dead. There's a weeping when there's loss, and we too should be able to express that rightly. We see here, though, that there is an, an immense amount of respect that is shown to Joseph, Uh, certainly for Jacob as his father. Verse 2, Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And so, interestingly, uh, what they do in this uh, process of preparing uh, Jacob is there's a time of mourning. We're told that uh, for 40 days the Egyptians mourned, and then there was another 
30 days uh, for the Jewish mourning, a total of 70 days of mourning. So I wonder, again, as a culture, do we properly mourn? We tend to, to seem to tell people, okay, it's been a week or two or a few weeks, you should be moving on. Well, well we see here that there's a, a, an extended period of mourning, a right period. Uh, amazingly, this is a, a great sign of respect for Joseph uh, to, to mourn over his father, again, a foreigner. Um, interestingly, too, that this, is, this period of mourning, the 70 days, is only two days less than was prescribed at the death of Pharaoh himself. An incredible honor was given to Jacob and given to Joseph. It shows how loved Joseph was. We see their Egyptian tears as they afford this level of respect to, to Joseph. We also see that, that Joseph wasn't just weeping over his father, but he now wanted to properly... Uh, um, honor his father and his father's wishes. Verse 4, when the days of weeping for him uh, were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh saying, if now I found favor in your eyes, please speak to the ears of Pharaoh, saying, my father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewned out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. And so Joseph goes and he asks for the ability to, to take his father back uh, to the land to, to properly bury him. So there's tears, there's mourning, but now there's this, uh, this desire to see him buried. You may have uh, watched with probably the rest of the world in recent months as Queen Elizabeth had passed, and, and it is amazing to watch as the British, uh, the ceremony, uh, the, uh, the, the mourning that they... Uh, did to honor her, uh, the, the pomp and circumstance that, that only the British can do, right? Um, with the, the long trains and the lines and the horses and the, and the military. And, and I wonder if, if there's a bit of that here, maybe even more here, because uh, what Pharaoh does in response to Joseph's request is not just, yeah, take, take, your, uh, you know, take your father's body, go and bury him, and come right back. No, there's a, there's a funeral procession that Pharaoh will establish that is perhaps even greater than what we witnessed with, with the burial of Queen Elizabeth. Um, the understatedness at times, maybe in our opinion, of, of Scripture says, and it was a very great company. It uh, doesn't begin to describe uh, because in verses 7 through 9, we see this, uh, the elite of Pharaoh's kingdom were sent as an honor guard to go with Joseph. All the servants of, of Pharaoh went, uh, the elders of his household, all the elders of the land of Egypt. This would have been hundreds, maybe even thousands who went. Um, and then Joseph's household, his brothers, his father's household in verse 8. Uh, so only the children and the flocks and the herds remain behind. So this, this vast entourage leaves Egypt to, to pay homage and respect to Jacob. Uh, but also, there's a military honor guard, in essence, that is sent. Verse 9, the chariots and the horsemen. Uh, this is only one of two places um, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, where this phrase is used, the chariots and the horsemen. It's here in 59, verse 9, and then in Exodus 14 and 15, a very different use of those chariots and horsemen in Exodus as uh, then those 
chariots and horsemen of Pharaoh were, were not honoring uh, the Jews, but pursuing them to destroy them and to take them back. And so we see uh, one writer called it a dress rehearsal here for the coming exodus because take note that the route that they took uh, leaving Egypt would not have been the easiest or simplest most direct route to get to Canaan, uh, they would take uh, an atypical route. In fact, the routes that would be taken by uh, their descendants in the book of Exodus. Uh, they would leave and they would go up around the, other, uh, the eastern side of, of Jordan. Um, and so interesting parallels here that we see of, of what might come in the future. But uh, we see that Jacob is laid to rest, verse 14. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. If you have experienced uh, funerals, if you've uh, laid to rest a, a loved one, uh, if you've uh, had to deal with all that happens uh, with, uh, with the, the process and uh, dealing with funeral homes and uh, uh, loved ones coming in to grieve with you and, and, and meals that are provided, you know that, that, that the, the time of that death is, is traumatic, it is hard, it is physically demanding and overwhelming. And sometimes as, as all of the uh, um, events, as the funeral has passed and everyone begins to head back to their different places, uh, you're, you're left there at times alone, you're physically uh, wiped out, you're emotionally spent, and it, it can be a difficult time, those quiet moments of reflecting good and remembering uh, the joy of that person, but, but the sorrow of the loss. And so perhaps uh, Joseph would experience a bit of that as he sits maybe alone and, and mourns um, again the passing of his father um, the end of things brings opportunities to reflect, does it not? Uh, when something comes to an end, maybe it's the end of a of job, maybe it's the end of a, a school year, the end of even a relationship, uh, living in one area, moving to another. Um, these endings uh, that bring new beginnings, they're, they're times to reflect, to look back, uh, to celebrate, uh, to mourn, uh, to reflect on what we might have done differently. Um, we will see in a moment that, that Joseph mourned passing his father, but now the brothers, uh, in, in, in returning to uh, Egypt, they begin to uh, reflect as well. Maybe their choices in the past had, had been uh, um, terrible choices. Um, we've seen in the preceding chapters that there was a semblance of, of reconciliation that happened between Joseph and his brothers. Remember, his, his brothers hated him so much that they wanted him dead. And then uh, one brother stepped forward and, and really rescued Joseph uh, from being killed by the brothers. And instead, they simply sold him into slavery. And so uh, there have been different times when the brothers have uh, had to face what they had done to Joseph. Um, and so they're not bothered. Bothered is, a, is probably not even the right word because reconciliation has not truly happened quite yet. Um, the brothers are still bound by guilt. Um, we see in a moment that they still doubt. Did Joseph really forgive us? Was he just playing a game? Was he just doing it because dad was around? Um, one writer said, though Joseph had forgiven them, 
They never confessed their sins to him, much less asked for forgiveness, with the result that their consciences, consciences had never been assuaged or, or they had never really uh, come to a place of peace with Joseph. Um, they're in misery, we see um, in verse 16. Uh, they're fearful of what is going to happen to them. Uh, and so they send a, a message to, uh, to Joseph that's really a, a lie. It's never good to begin the process of reconciling or apologizing with a lie, but, but they do. We have no indication that, uh, that, that Jacob, before his passing, had said to, um, to, uh, to them uh, that, um, I want you to go to your brother and say that I, your father, say to Joseph, you need to forgive them. Uh, if, if Jacob had done that, he certainly would have gone to Joseph. And so they begin with a lie. They say, uh, you know, dad said before he died that you need to forgive us. Uh, that's, the, uh, that's the modern language. Um, but uh, though their confession begins with a lie, and, and it's interesting, they've already received what they're asking for, forgiveness. Joseph has already forgiven them in his heart. He's already given that. He's already shown them how much he cares for them, taking them in. Um, continuing to care for them. Um, and so their confession begins with a lie. It begins with asking for something they've already received, but it is a, it is a, a full confession. They name their sin. They use the word transgression twice, sin and evil once each. Reconciling is difficult. If there's someone in your life right now who you are at odds with, to reconcile with that person, it, it is a hard thing to do. But it must begin with a true confession, a, a full understanding in your own heart of what you've done against that person, full and accurate, calling sin, sin, not just saying somehow, oh, it was just a mistake I made or uh, a misunderstanding. No, if we, have, if we have sinned against someone and we seek reconciliation, we must confess it. What we did was wrong. Please uh, forgive me. And Joseph... Um, Himself didn't try and excuse or dismiss what they're saying. He didn't say, oh, I know you were just being brothers. I know you didn't mean any harm. Or uh, what you did really didn't matter to me. Sometimes we can seek to, uh, uh, to diminish uh, what someone else has done to us. He doesn't do that. The, the brothers rightly declare we, we did evil against you. We sinned against you. And verse 17 is, is sort of a tragic verse. Um, when they say, now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Perhaps, and more likely here, is Joseph weeps because he, he's, he's thinking, I already forgave you. I already forgave you. And now you're, you're asking for forgiveness again, and, and you're thinking that I'm going to take retribution on you because father is dead. So he weeps because he felt like there had already been reconciliation. Uh, but Joseph wonderfully in the power of the Spirit moves towards them uh, to, to allay their fears, to comfort them. He says, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God that, that I would take uh, retribution on you, that I would seek revenge? And so as we seek to reconcile, first is that, um, that uh, rightly uh, recognizing what we've done, then... Uh, also is uh, the sense of not seeking revenge, leaving into the hands of God, that he's going to be the one uh, to deal with whatever it is there that has happened. 
we see Joseph forgiving well. We see him forgiving very well. And as we seek to forgive others, it is difficult because we've been sinned against, we've been wounded, we've been hurt. Romans 12, 21 reminds us that we're to overcome evil with good. We're not to return uh, more evil to them. It's a work of the Spirit to, to free us from the pain that, uh, that they've inflicted on us. I want you to take a, one moment and notice that in, uh, in Genesis 50, 20, uh, people have asked, how can Joseph do this? How can Joseph truly forgive brothers who sought to kill him, who, who, who robbed from him his youth, who robbed from him uh, his years of, uh, of, of being a producer, robbed his freedom? How could he truly forgive? And we see it in uh, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Thread that runs throughout these last chapters in the life of Joseph is that Joseph continues to trust God, that whatever is happening to him, God is using it for good. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. If there's a if there's a New Testament reflection of this wonderful concept, it's Romans 8, 28. That God has promised to work all things together for our good, for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that these things are good. Joseph would never have declared what they did was good. No, what was good is what God was doing. And again, he states here the salvation of many. And then he wonderfully continues this ministry to his brothers. I forgive you. I love you. I will not seek retribution. I'm not God. I can forgive you. And now I will provide for you and your little ones. He provides comforting words, we're told, at the end of 21. We see that the heart of reconciliation here, that what allows Joseph to fully reconcile with his brothers, is, is that he's at peace with God. He's understood his own forgiveness, uh, forgiveness by God, and now he's able to give it to others. Peace with God by forgiveness through Jesus Christ. The heart of reconciliation can then free us to then go and forgive other people. We see at the end here Joseph's very end itself. He was a good old age. He was surrounded by his children, his grandchildren, and then he says, please do not uh, leave me here. One day, take me with you. And so let me conclude by asking, what, if someone were to ask you, what is the message of the Bible? If you had to summarize in a few words, what is the, the cohesive message of the scriptures? I think very clearly it would be that God is reconciling to himself a people through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his son. God is using the, the highest, the worst events, which is the death of his son, to bring about the greatest gift that is salvation. We see this picture here with Joseph. He's doing the same. He's reconciling. He's forgiving. He's at peace with his brothers. And so God's end game, God's ultimate plan is that we might be redeemed, bought back, brought to a place of peace with him through Jesus Christ. So here at the end of 
Genesis, we, we find this beginning. The beginning of the story of God's redeeming to himself a people. The story that we are a part of. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ, you have been drawn to the story. You've been redeemed. You've been reconciled. You have peace with God. And now that is what allows us to go and tell others, to go and forgive others, and also to deal with tragedy and heartache and death with hope of a future with him, peace for eternity.